To my dearest baby brother. To my loving and devoted older sister. It feels like yesterday that I was looking after your baby bassinet down by the river. You've always been my guardian and my biggest fan. We thought we'd lost you all those years, but then you came back to us miraculously. God brought me back to you when he gave me my true calling. Together, we accomplished so much. We changed the world. Without you, how much harder the mission would have been. I'm so proud of the leader you've become, but I worry about you. But now that same mission weighs on me. How can you carry the burden of a nation all alone? I am tired, I am drained, yet the challenges are relentless. I want you to know I am here for you, always. I can't do this alone, and I don't know who to turn to. Why won't you reach out to me for help? So I'm saying, enough. I simply can't go on like this. Things are getting out of hand. You are making dangerous choices. It's time for some me time, for some balance in my life. You and I, we are special, chosen, the few among the many. I'm just another human being. My life is no more important than any other. Which is why we need to act our position and live up to our status. Which is why I deserve happiness too. I'd really like you to see it my way because I can't see it any differently. I'd really like you to see it my way because I can't see it any differently. I I love love you and will will always be in your camp. Welcome back everyone to Pshat or Not, the Torah podcast that could go to grad school and get its degree in psychology. I'm your host for today, J.J. Weinstein. Danny will be back for our next episode, one that you will not want to miss because it will be our first character study on this podcast. We'll be breaking down the life and times of Ruvain, the oldest of the 12 brothers. But today our topic is different, and it's a bit out of chronological order. This episode will jump to Parshat Bahalotra in Sefer Bamidbar. Why, you ask? Well, because I happened to be reading it a few weeks ago, and I thought, yeah, something strange is going on in this episode. I need to do a podcast about it. Seems like, seems like we need to dive into it a little bit. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Tucked in right at the end of Parshat Bahalotra in Perak Bet is an episode that you probably remember reading, and may or may not have struck you as out of context or just plain unusual. It kind of comes out of nowhere, but it's so juicy and chock full of human nature and drama that we just have to take a closer look at it. At least I had to. As you may have already gathered from the very touching and slightly melodramatic intro that we recorded with me and my wife, Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. It is the scene that we're going to talk about today, the scene in Parsha Bahalocha, where Miriam and Aaron speak slanderously about their brother Moshe, which ultimately ends up with Miriam being punished with Sarat and forced to hang out outside the camp for seven days. By the way, now you see what we did there during the intro, right? And we'll always be in your camp. Yep. A play on the word camp. Really sophisticated stuff. 
I was up all night working on that one. In any event, let's quickly review what happens here, sprinkling in a few quotes and then think through what makes this episode just so mysterious and fascinating. Okay, let's read a Fupsukim. Parakut Bet, Sefer Bamidbar. I'm going to read Psukim Aleph to Gimel in English. Art Scroll, courtesy of Art Scroll. Miriam and Aaron spoke out against Moses regarding the Cushite woman he had married, for he married a Cushite woman. They said, Was it only to Moses that Hashem spoke? Did he not speak to us as well? And Hashem heard. Now the man Moses was exceedingly humble, more than any person on the face of the earth. Exclamation point. Okay, end quote. <laughs> Art scroll gives it an exclamation point. So it must mean something big. Okay, so let's continue the narrative. So I'm paraphrasing now, not reading directly from the from the Torah. Uh, God then commands all three of the siblings to go to the Ohel Moed. He specifically asks Aaron and Miriam to step forward. God's basically saying to them, Moshe is actually unique and special. Nobody else has the same relationship with me. So what's up with talking all this smack about him? And then before Miriam and Aaron have the opportunity to answer God, God's anger flares up and he just pieces out. He leaves, which is quickly followed by Miriam suddenly contracting Tzarat. Okay, already good amount of stuff to work with, but it gets, it gets juicier. Some really interesting family dynamics then play out. Aaron asks his brother Moshe, not God, interestingly, to somehow cure Miriam of this disease. And Moshe obliges by turning to God to ask for the cure. Though it would be a really tidy ending for this whole episode for God to be like, sure, Moshe, since you're my most special guy and you ask nicely because Moshe uses the word nah, please, I'll cure Miriam, no problem. If God had done that, everybody would have learned their lesson. Miriam and Aaron are not on the same level as Moshe. Moshe does have that direct line to God, and he can sort of ask God for stuff that normal people can't. But in another twist, God rejects Moshe's request and in a nutshell says to him, look, I punished her for a reason, so she's going to serve her time. And so she does for seven days outside of the camp. So there's a, a lot to work with here. Uh, lots of questions. Let's start with some of the obvious ones. First obvious question to me, Miriam and Aaron, what's the deal? All of a sudden you've become jealous and petty. It seems out of character for both of you. Up to this point, you've been stand-up leaders of the nation, pivotal to the exodus and, and to the development of the Jewish nation. All of a sudden you seem to be acting out of character. Next, why was the catalyst for their behavior this whole business about Moshe's Kushite wife? What does that fact have to do with any of what happens next? Also, the story seems disjointed. Miriam and Aaron are whispering behind Moshe's back. Then there's a statement about Moshe being the most humble person on earth. Okay, that's very flattering, but what does his legendary humbleness, if that's a word, have to do with the Kushite wife? or the criticisms his siblings are throwing his way. And finally, and perhaps important to unraveling this whole mystery, what about the criticism itself? What, what were they actually criticizing him about? They said, hey, basically, hey, God speaks to us also, not just to Moshe. Okay, so why stop there? 
What are they really trying to say? If they're going to insult him, kind of finish the insult for crying out loud. God speaks to us too. So as a result, here's our beef with Moshe. Why be so cryptic if they're just speaking to each other? It's not like they're making a public uh, service announcement and they're being political and careful with their words. They're just talking to each other. Say what you mean. So lastly, I would say that there's another kind of interesting dynamic here, which uh, we alluded to this, and it is that Moshe doesn't come out squeaky clean from this incident. God shuts down his request to heal Miriam, as we, as we noted. So what does all of that mean? Uh, it seems kind of counter to the entire point of this episode on the surface, which you could argue is to show how Moshe is more on the same page as God than his siblings are, and yet he doesn't seem to be at the end. God shuts him down. So was the whole episode trying to teach us that Moshe is more special? God says he is, but then he gets shut down. So kind of what's the context? What's going on here? Before we get to those answers, let's hear a short fake commercial break from our sponsor this week, Desert Dash. Are you temporarily exiled outside the camp for speaking slander or because of terribly inconvenient ritual contamination? Don't settle for subpar cuisine just because your behavior was subpar. Introducing Desert Dash, the service that delivers all of the delicacies of inside the camp right to the front flap of your tent. Simply place your order using our patented Sahara Winds aerial delivery system. And within hours, our chefs will prepare a freshly cooked meal for your enjoyment. Enjoy delectable mon sandwiches, mouth-watering mon salads, and a wide selection of mon desserts to satisfy that sweet tooth. And don't forget to sample the dish that made us famous, mon pan, the best bread you've had since leaving Egypt in a hurry. Delivery is safe and easy. We invented contactless delivery. Nobody does it better. So hurry and place your Desert Dash order today. Supplies are not running out. They will just keep falling from the sky. But hurry anyway. Your stomach will thank you. Desert Dash reserves the right to cancel orders during an Amalekite attack. Delivery is not available on Yom Shavi. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Hope you liked our newest fake commercial. Maybe I should give you a few minutes to download the app and order anything you need from Desert Dash. It does come quickly. Pandemic approved. Okay. So we were trying to answer a series of questions that we posed before the commercial. Let's get into a little bit of context before we directly answer those questions, because it's really important. Specifically, what happens in the narrative right before this whole incident with Miriam and Aaron? Well, what happens is a bunch of fascinating and seemingly unconnected things. It starts off on a high note, actually. Uh, B'nai Israel is just setting off for the first time from Har Sinai, the location of the pinnacle of spiritual achievement. Moshe basically begs his father-in-law to stick around and not to leave, effectively saying to him, you've been such a great asset. We could really use your help going forward. Side note, the father-in-law is called Chovav, not Yitro, but we're going to assume that Chovav is Yitro for the moment. In any event, Moshe is begging for him to stick around right after 
Harsi and I. But it doesn't work. Yitro or Kovav is ready to go back home to Midian. He's, he's done. Doesn't say why, but, you know, he's ready to go. Remember, this is the same man who helped Moshe figure out a system to avoid running himself ragged in Parsha Yitro, when Moshe was overwhelmed with everybody coming uh, to get judgments rendered by Moshe and interpret the law uh, to help them live their daily lives. Now, mind you, when Yitro set that system up for Moshe, it was designed to alleviate the day-to-day logistical burden for him. It basically appointed a bureaucracy to deal with lower-level issues so Moshe wouldn't have to. It was not a support system necessarily to help Moshe deal with the emotional burden of being such an iconic leader. Which brings us to the second thing that happens before Aaron and Miriam speak out against Moshe. It's actually a pretty disturbing and embarrassing sequence for B'nai Israel. Probably one of the top three or four bad behavior episodes during the 40 years in the Midbar. And there were a number of them. So here's what happens. if Something I hadn't remembered when I went back to read this. So you may not remember this exact sequence either. But if you do, you're awesome. So first, the nation complains. The Torah doesn't even tell us what about. We've heard this before. Uh, but it does tell us that God got angry about it. God had a fire burning and consuming at the edge of the camp, which presumably was a bad thing. The people cried out to Moshe. Moshe prays to God for mercy, and it works. The fire dies down, order is restored, all is good. But, 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 then more complaining right away, unfortunately. This time about the lack of meat in the wilderness. God becomes angry again, understandably. But Moshe also is unhinged at this point. The Pasuk says, And in the eyes of Moshe, it was bad. Instead of praying for protection for the nation, or castigating them for complaining, something you kind of envision Moshe doing, right? Those are the two things he does in our mind's eye. Moshe instead turns to God with some complaining of his own. He says, basically, this job is too emotionally and psychologically hard for me. I can't satisfy these people. And all the responsibility falls on my shoulders. I'd rather die than continue bearing this burden. Wow. Strong words when you're talking to God. There's no bluffing God, and Moshe knows it. He must have really meant it. Literally, take my life unless you can build a support system around me to deal with the emotional toll these people are taking on me. Step back and think about that for a minute. It's pretty incredible. Don't think I fully appreciated that when I skimmed through, you know, the Parsha the first many times in my in my life going through this Parsha. So God gets it. He doesn't push back on Moshe. Instead, he offers a solution. Let's assemble a group of 70 leaders, well-respected leaders from across the, the nation and they will literally take some of the ruach, or spirit, onto their shoulders, and they'll help bear the burden. It's metaphorical. It's beautiful. So it seems problem-solution. Moshe gets help from his friends. In fact, two of these 70 dudes, Eldad and Medad, are just hanging out in public, quote-unquote, prophesying after that ruach rests on them. 
Interestingly, Yehoshua gets mad about that, thinking that it's inappropriate for them to do this. But Moshe essentially says to Yehoshua, I wish everyone could have this special privilege of getting prophecy. Who are we to judge which people, quote unquote, deserve prophecy and which people don't? This is actually also an odd little mini episode, but it'll become important in tying everything together in just a few moments. So continuing through the narrative, and we're getting there, God then does provide meat for the people, but he also strikes them with a very mighty blow, quote unquote. So again, in short succession, another tragic loss of life because the people complained and provoked God. It's been a bad run all around and likely one that left a lasting impression on Moshe and the people. Definitely not the finest hour for the Jewish people. Okay, that's all context and all very interesting, but now what does it have to do with Miriam and Aaron and Moshe's Kushite wife? Well, it, it sure seems like Moshe just now went ahead and took another wife. There's been no mention of her before, and besides, it would be odd for Moshe's siblings to all of a sudden start talking about her when she's been in the family for a while. If she had been in the family, why start talking about her now? The text also says, and this is kind of my clincher here, uh, this is from Pasuk Aleph, which we read before, Miriam and Aaron spoke out against Moses regarding the Cushite woman he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. The Torah emphasizes that, yes, he took another wife. Why is that necessary? Like, it says it twice in one pasuk. It's kind of hard to see how that emphasis in the narrative points to this Isha Kushut being Tzipora, which some commentators conclude. But I think it's he's taken a new wife. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about this whole series of events from Miriam and Aaron's perspective. Both of them had been instrumental leaders during Yitziat Mitzrayim, and they remained so in the wilderness. If Moshe had been experiencing difficulty dealing with the emotional burden of his leadership, it would have been logical for Moshe, or for God, to come to Miriam and Aaron as a first line of defense, to share some of that burden. But as far as we know, that didn't happen. Moshe complains to God, who then sends Moshe the 70 elders or leaders doesn't send his own pious brother or sister to share some of that burden. And Miriam and Aaron are, as a result, probably feeling left out in the cold, or you might say, passed over, no pun intended. You like that one? I like that one. (laughs) Okay, then immediately after the nation is acting terribly and suffers this, this terrible tragedy of being struck by God twice, Moshe goes ahead and occupies himself with a new marriage. Time and place? It doesn't, seems kind of off. Like, doesn't seem like the right reading the room, the right moment to do that. With a nation in crisis? You know, I don't know. So Miriam and Aaron are looking at Moshe's behavior and thinking, maybe he's really snapped. Maybe he really did mean what he said to God. And he's occupied with his own personal enjoyment to some degree rather than 100% of his effort being devoted to the nation's well-being, as we're used to seeing him. Miriam and Aaron might also be a bit upset by Moshe effusively pleading with his father-in-law to stick around. Why did Moshe need Yitro's guidance? From Miriam and Aaron's perspective, aren't they enough to be an inner circle for Moshe? 
to help him through his, his leadership struggles. All the more so because Moshe's reason for wanting his father-in-law to stick around doesn't really make sense anyway. As if Yitro's going to provide some strategic, tactical advice or navigational assistance. Like, here's what Moshe actually says to try to convince his father-in-law to stay. Please do not forsake us, inasmuch as you know our encampments in the wilderness, and you have been as eyes for us. That's so odd. All of a sudden, Moshe needs Yitro to be a, a navigator, an expert navigator. Really? And then even more so, literally right after Moshe loses this argument with Yitro and Yitro leaves, the Torah explains anyway that the Aaron, the Ark of God, journeyed before them a three-day distance to search out for them a resting place. The Aaron Kodesh leads the way at God's direction, not Yitro. Yitro isn't going to make them aware of some crazy shortcut to get to Eretz Yisrael. So clearly then, Moshe's intent must have been to have Yitro around as some type of support system. Emotional, maybe, administrative. Either way, Moshe's siblings are thinking, well, we can be that for, for you, Moshe. We can be your support system. So that's how you can maybe see from their perspective, you know, why they're criticizing him all of a sudden. Gives you a slightly different viewpoint on what's going on in, in their minds. So then why does the text immediately say Moshe was so humble? I mean, of all the adjectives to be used for him at this point in the story, that's not the one I would have picked necessarily. Well, Aaron and Miriam were upset that Moshe didn't come to them to share the emotional burden. They're thinking to themselves, but we're also chosen as special by God. We can share that burden. We're not like the rest of the people. We're on a higher level, literally holier than thou, if you will. But that's not how Moshe felt. Clearly not, since he even reprimands Yehoshua for thinking like Miriam and Aaron do. It's not up to individuals to decide how much of a pedestal to put themselves on. It's up to God. If God wants to choose two random elders to do some extra prophesizing, then that's cool. Good for them. Right? That's God's decision. Miriam and Aaron maybe, perhaps... They might be reflecting some of their own arrogance here, and I don't use that word lightly. Uh, you know, arrogance that they're entitled to prophetic status. Moshe's different. He's humble about it. He doesn't take the divine relationship for granted. Even after literally ascending Har Sinai and communing with God for 40 days, he's still not feeling entitled to that treatment, which is why he is the ultimate humble leader humble prophet. And it's it's really that lesson of no one getting too comfortable with their spiritual status to that lesson that resonates from this, this odd episode. Even Moshe, who God just described to Miriam and Aaron as being on a level all by himself, even he fails at persuading God to re- reduce Miriam's sentence. It wasn't arrogance on Moshe's part to try to do that, but it just goes to show, you know, it's Nobody knows how to manipulate God. Everyone has their own relationship with him. And whatever God's relationship is that he wants to share with you is the one he's going to share with you. And it's unpredictable. Uh, and all we can do is, is try our best and not judge anyone else, anyone else's relationship with God. So the other lesson you, know, you could take away from this is that you don't take your relationship with God for granted. It has to be renewed every day and earned every day. 
with humility that's modeled after our greatest leader and teacher. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Pshat or Not. We would love to hear your feedback. We've gotten some great emails, some great WhatsApp messages from people showing us that they've listened and that they have strong opinions one way or another about the shot interpretation that we're putting forth here. So please reach out, shot or not at gmail.com. We're on Facebook, lots of different ways to get in touch. And most importantly, if you enjoyed the podcast and you thought it was interesting, please share it with your friends and let's keep the discussion going. Thank you, everyone. We'll be back soon with another new episode. Mm-hmm.